Hi, I'm Sergio. And I'm Alex. And this is the IPHO Podcast. Each episode, we'll be hosting professionals with diverse backgrounds from across the industry. We have two goals, to bring you timely, relevant insights from across the healthcare landscape and information that can help support your professional growth. What non-traditional career opportunities exist for pharmacists, and how can I stand out from other candidates? How is COVID impacting the way we develop medications and support patients? What social inequalities exist within the biopharmaceutical industry, and what are companies doing about it? So whether you're a pharmacy student interested in learning more about fellowships or in pursuing a direct career in industry, a current or former fellow trying to figure out your next step, or just interested in a distraction from your workout, we've got you covered. And remember, the views and opinions we and our guests express on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the IPHO podcast. We're joined this evening by uh, Shivani Vora. Uh, She's a pharmacist by background and is currently an associate director of brand strategy and marketing uh, and oncology at AstraZeneca. Throughout her career, she's held various roles across industry and consulting and brand marketing, payer market access, and health economics and outcomes research, and worked across a variety of therapeutic areas, including oncology, diabetes, neuroscience, and rare diseases, but is particularly passionate about oncology. She started her career at Eli Lilly with her visiting science fellowship in HOR oncology, and since then transitioned into more commercially focused roles. Um, But she strongly believes in paying it forward and serving as a mentor for other students and student pharmacist organizations like IPHO and AMCP. Um, And her professional interests include global patient impact, brand marketing, market access, and digital health. And so we're very fortunate to be joined this evening by uh, Shivani. Um, Welcome to the show and would love to hear uh, a little bit more about, uh, about your background. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be part of um, the conversation. Yeah, so I think you've eloquently covered the background in the intro itself. But yeah, I started my career in industry as a VSF um, within Eli Lilly, and since then have worked across, as you've mentioned in my background in HUR, market access, as well as um, and now I most currently work in global brand marketing. It's been a interesting experience across different functional therapeutic areas, and I continue to kind of enjoy and learn and grow um, within the oncology space today. Now, what drew you to, to pharmacy in particular? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I actually never wanted to be a pharmacist. I, <laughs> My mom was a doctor growing up in India, um, and my one of my babysitting spots used to be her clinic. So I always thought that I wanted to be a doctor just like her. Fast forward to moving to the U.S. in middle school, as well as continuing to explore that idea of wanting to be a doctor for a long time. Um, And being able to see healthcare across different parts of the world, I realized I don't want to be a physician. I don't don't want to go to school for as long as the medical school is. I also didn't necessarily want to be confined to one specialty and make impact on that just single patient level, if that makes sense. And not that there is anything wrong with it. I think for me, I just wanted to be at intersection of healthcare globally and be able to make impact on a population level. So even though I didn't know how to exactly get there, this rough idea in my head was drugs go around the world. And if I could figure out a way to potentially work for a pharma company, um, then I could also go around the world and make impact globally. And one of the ways to be able to do that seemed like the right idea was to go into pharmacy school. 
did you know anybody else who was in the industry? Like, how did you arrive at that? Yeah. So I think that's the interesting bit. Like I had this like rough idea of like that logically that's how it should work, but I actually had no idea that pharmacists could be in a non-traditional industry setting. Cause I, anytime I thought about a pharmacist, I thought about it as a retail pharmacist, somebody who's dispensing the drug. So it was just like this almost like a naive idea that potentially this is a way to get to that. And it just ended up working out or I, I guess I was able to find a path to be able to get to that point. So the story kind of unfolded along the way. Can you share a little bit about backing up? I know we're going back a few years now, but backing up to finding that path. Can you describe a little bit about how you found that information? Maybe a little bit of your approach to networking, why a fellowship? That's kind of the theme, but basically working your way from, I, I want to work in an in a way that impacts populations. I want to work in a pharmaceutical company and with drugs. How did you get there? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, honestly, I didn't even know, right, if I could even work for a pharmaceutical company. The only idea I had was I knew I did. I, I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. I knew I wanted to be at an intersection of healthcare and potentially being able to touch people's lives in a develop as well as developing country. And I knew I had a little bit of a business acumen. So I wanted to be at an intersection of all three. I had a friend who was in pharmacy school at the time who recommended going to pharmacy school as potentially a, a starting point. So I did that. And then fast forward to my second year of pharmacy school. So I went to University of Florida. Um, and as it might be true for a lot of people, at least in the South, you don't really hear about non-traditional paths. So I didn't really know about non-traditional paths either, except I was part of AMCP. And one of the diplomats that came in for a guest speaker um, lecture, she talked about her fellowship at Exenda and fellowship in managed care. And that kind of gave me an idea of what managed care is, what potentially consulting is, what, what does that all mean? And the fact that pharmacists could even like go down this like non-traditional path. So that was my initial introduction into like managed care side of the world. And then I honestly just asked her if I could come and shadow her for a couple of days. And she was very gracious enough to let me just listen in to meetings and customer conversations that she was having. And I that kind of gave me an idea of like, okay, this is a really cool aspect of pharmacy that no one talks about, at least not when I was in pharmacy school. So that gave me an idea that, okay, I want to be within this HUR market access space. And then from there, I did an internship the summer of my second year at a PBM, which gave me a better understanding of what the payroll world looks like, how formulary decisions are made, how decisions are made for population at a more broader level. And then from there, I knew, okay, I I definitely want to go down this non-traditional path. There could be a way to do that either in consulting or in managed care through a PBM. Um, And then someone at UF actually had gone to Procter & Gamble for a rotation, which is interesting because you don't think about Procter & Gamble as like the traditional pharma company, at least not now, but they used to have a huge pharma company. section within within part of their consumer goods arm, if you will. Um, and so I was able to get a rotation at PNG. And that really opened up my world to this industry pharmacy role that we know it as today. And that's kind of what told me, like gave me a perspective that, oh, you could be a pharmacist and 
go talk to the FDA or you could be a pharmacist and be an MSL or you could be a pharmacist and be in market access. So that, I think just through those conversations as well as experiences, I kind of figured out like, okay, this is the area I want to be in. And then I just like the number of opportunities um, industry or specifically pharma company could give. So I, I thought that that was better aligned with what I wanted to do futuristically. And it sounds like the start of all of that was effectively like an outreach visit or a presentation, you know, through, through AMCP. And I imagine that that's why you continue to be active with these organizations and give back. I mean, that, that impact that it had on you. Um, but maybe if you could describe, you know, what you do now um, to give back through these organizations. Yeah, 100% to this date. I remember that, right? AMCP diplomat, who is now my mentor and friend's name, Chelsea Campbell. She was very open, um, very non-judgmental, right? And treated me as a younger version of herself, if you will, right? Who came in and was curious and just kind of wanted to learn about this different world. So I've tried to carry that same level of authenticity um, and the mindset of paying it forward um, as I've grown in my career. Um, so I've served as an AMCP diplomat for um, one of the schools in New York for a couple of years because I used to live in New York when I worked in consulting there. In addition to that, I've tried to be or I've participated as a judge for PNT competitions for AMCP as well as for IPHO's competitions. And one that selfishly, right, is an opportunity to meet the incoming talent and meet um, meet them and help them see a world that I probably wasn't exposed to early part of my career. So I try to try to pay forward that way as well as just mentoring students that are within part of my organization who come through fellowship or rotations. And if we don't pay it forward, we, there's there's nothing to follow us, right? So it's it's great to hear that you devote yourself to doing that. I want to just talk to you a little bit about your career path, because in your intro, you were in HEOR. I think I heard market access, brand marketing, and I cue into market access in particular because it, it may have, and then, and then after this, we can talk about uh, brand marketing a bit, but market access may be a term that people listening aren't too familiar with of what someone in that role may do. So. Can you help? Can you help us understand what exactly an individual does in market access, and maybe just a few examples of types of initiatives? So it's thematically, and then a few initiatives, so that people can picture uh, what exactly someone in market access may do. Yeah, so I think that's a really good question because the word the word either gets thrown around a lot or it's used in a lot of different ways depending on who you talk to. So when when broadly speaking one mentions market access within pharmaceutical industry, essentially the type of role that you're thinking about is payer, right? So payer strategy and payer marketing. And one of the simplest ways it's been explained to me is you essentially have three customers. You have payer, patient, and physician as your customer, and you need strategy as a pharmaceutical company, right? To build a strategy and then ultimately convince them to use your drug if it's appropriate for them for that patient. And so payer is one of those customers and market market access falls within that strategy or within that window where payer is your key customer, where you're building strategy to ultimately develop a value proposition for your drug such that payers, such as national payers or regional payers. So think about your optums of the world, humanas of the world, blue cross, blue shields of the world, you can go to them and say, 
for XYZ reason, this is a valuable drug for you to include in your formulary. And if they're bought into that value, then you have access to that formulary. And ultimately, those patients who are then part of that health plan, which could be millions of patients, depending on which pair you were talking to, can then ultimately have access to your drug. So the ultimate goal of the job is to ensure that patients have access to the most innovative drugs at the best cost possible. So that that's high, at a high level what I mean when you when I say market access. I think that's great. And how does that differ? I don't know. Were you in a global role or a U.S. role for that? So I've worked in both capacity. You know, it just brings me back to um, you said you moved here from India in middle school. Um, so thinking about market access around the world, how what types of experiences did you have in seeing different ways in which um, regulate not regulators uh, payers in different countries? Well, payers are regulators in some countries. They're they're pretty closely different different arms of the same same being, um, but. How, how may that have differed uh, in different countries? So, and I'm trying to get at, can you help people listening understand how healthcare is delivered differently and how uh, a position in market access has to approach countries differently based on their, uh, their regulatory and payer, the way that they pay for drugs? Yeah, that's a great question. I'll try to unpack that. So I can answer it two ways. I think the first bit for just access to care, right? So if you if you just focus on basic access to care, and let's just for for conversation's sake, think about India and US. Growing up in India, at the time it was a developing country, it's getting to a, be right one of the most um, most developed countries in the world, but not still there yet. So at least in the 90s, early 2000s, the way healthcare is provided in India is fee for service. So access to basic healthcare, such as going to see a PCP or a specialist, is relatively easy, right? As long as you know somebody or you have a reference of a doctor from someone that you know, you can get an appointment with them quickly. You pay out of pocket because it's fee for service uh, reimbursement model, and you're able to see those patients, uh, see those providers, and then ultimately go to a pharmacy, give them a prescription, and get medication relatively simple on on top of that india just historically right is is a very holistic medicine driven country so right ayurveda was invented in india yoga is an important part of the practice so they they practice holistic medicine and so as such the focus of healthcare isn't just on these are your symptoms and this is how you treat it it's also right like mind body soul and holistic ways of potentially preventing certain illnesses from happening and when they have happened, providing relatively easy access to care. Having said that, the flip side is access to most innovative care. So think about oncology or rare diseases is is much harder because not a lot of innovation happens in developing countries like India, right? Although India is a biggest supplier of generic drugs and vaccines in the world, a lot of the innovation isn't happening. So access to the latest and greatest medication is usually very many years delayed compared to developed countries. And so now if you kind of think about the U.S., we have access to the latest and greatest care, right? We are truly one of the biggest innovators of the latest medications in the world. But having said that, our, our healthcare system is a private payer system. And so as such is extremely convoluted. It's very fragmented. There's a lot of players in the middle that 
make it harder for patients, right, day to day to one, understand how the overall healthcare system works, and then for them to get access to it at an affordable price. Um, so for example, even for me to go see a PCP or to be able to pick up my medication now at a retail pharmacy has become a lot harder because of vertical integrations, right? And as such, PBMs wanting to control every aspect of the healthcare system. So I think access to basic versus most innovative care differs across different countries. Um, and we have that here in the U.S., but it's just complicated and very expensive. So your second part of your question, so how does what does that all mean from a market access rule standpoint? Um, so while, and this sounds like a little bit of an oxymoron, right? Because, well, care in the U.S. is extremely expensive. U.S. is also one of the biggest markets where you have the revenue potential from, right? So usually when you're bringing the latest and greatest medications into the, into the world, there are priority markets where you launch these drugs usually, and they go in a specific sequence. So you will start with U.S. because... You can set price at a specific level, and if it's for a medication such as oncology medication, you most likely will get reimbursement for it from a payer. And then from there, you will launch in other secondary or still very important markets such as European markets, so your EU5, so UK, France, Germany, China, or excuse me, UK, France, Germany, Spain, Italy, and then you'll also launch in other markets such as China, Japan. So these are like kind of your top tier markets because you get the most revenue from these markets. And from there, you'll have a tiering system as to do you go to emerging markets? Do you go to Latin American markets? Do you go to South African markets? And the reason for that is, right, one, quote unquote, for in most basic terms, the revenue potential is relatively less in those markets. And as such, access to care for those patients to the most innovative medication also ends up being a lot later, right, or not accessible. So within a market access rule, you think about launching drugs this way, just because ultimately it is a business, but in terms of the implications it has, is it has disparities in terms of access to care, depending on where you live in the world. I think what you've described is an accumulation of learnings and experience from time you've spent with payers as your customer in, in market access. I'm curious about what you've learned in your current role um, with a different customer mind. You know, you're in brand strategy and marketing now. Um, so my first, you know, mini question is, who's your customer? Are you focused on patients or, or HCPs? Um, and, and what have you learned in, in your current role? Yeah, so now my customer is the, the provider, right? So predominantly HCPs, um, as well as other healthcare providers, such as, right, um, the, that are part of your multidisciplinary team, but ultimately any provider, if you will, or HCPs. What I've learned, it's very interesting, because now I currently work in a global market, brand marketing role, brand strategy role. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to work on a trial which has the potential, if, if the readout is positive, to shape the, the landscape for a specific tumor type that I'm working on. And, and so when you're working in a space like that, you have the ability to understand, okay, what does the current landscape look like today? What are the unmet needs 
within that landscape, not only in your U.S. market, but globally, right? Where are the disparities and what can this trial or this combination or single drug can come in and help solve for? Um, And how do you need to position it such that when you do talk to physicians, they feel like you're addressing the unmet need they're experiencing currently today with the standard of care that they have. So it's fascinating to, to see and understand a landscape and then be able to position something new that could genuinely change the treatment paradigm and improve patient lives with probably more innovative, less toxic drugs, as well as giving these patients better quality of life and potentially more years um, with, with their families. So I think the potential to be able to do that is really exciting. Obviously, it's data dependent, right? Um, and also market access and regulatory approval dependent. Well, and it, it helps, of course, that you've you've got a background as, as a pharmacist. And so you've got a, a great understanding of the science. And you've also spent you know quite a bit of time in, in medical roles. Um, I'm curious what that transition was was like for you? I mean, when did you really decide you wanted to pursue more commercially focused roles? And what barriers or obstacles did you encounter in making that move? Yeah, really good question. So I think even when I was looking at fellowships, I knew I'm very good at knowing what I don't like or what I won't be good at. (laughs) So for me, I knew that, for example, while regulatory and policy are important part of industry, that that's not an area of interest for me as well as area of strength for me. I knew that the areas I was interested in were at an intersection of clinical and business and population-based impact. So for me, that was HUR and market access from the very beginning. Um, I also knew oncology was an area of personal passion for me because I've lost a few close family members to, to cancer. Um, and so when I was looking at fellowships, I was predominantly focusing on HUR and market access. I was fortunate enough to get a fellowship at Lilly within oncology, within HUR. Um, and it was uniquely designed where I could touch three different teams. So I served as a conduit between our brand and payer teams who sit on the completely commercial side of the business, our HUR scientists who sit on the medical side of the business, as well as our field HUR teams who had the opportunity to translate all of that economic evidence and value propositions and go talk to payers. So, so have that customer arm as part of my, my role as well. And so one that gave me exposure both to the medical as well as a commercial side of the business, as well as the customer side of business and how, how true access decisions, if you will, are made between industry and a payer. Um, so that was always an area of interest for me. And then within Lilly, at least when I was doing the fellowship, you could spend 30% of your time in an area of interest. And so for me, because that was market access, I ended up spending time there just to see, one, if I truly like it, and two, if I'm good at it or not. Because <laughs> if I liked it and if I wasn't good at it, it would have been a, a pointless proposition, if you will. So I think the marriage of two allowed me to transition from um medical side to the commercial side of the business and then from there even from market access to brand marketing which is like a true commercial role if you will um, i've been able to transition having said that i think one of the key things that i continue to run into is 
as a pharmacist, you're always put into this box that you belong in a medical role, right? So either on the medical affairs side or as an MSL or some sort of a customer interaction where you have to talk about clinical data. And maybe if other leaders within the organization have had exposure to regulatory individuals who are pharmacists, then you're potentially put into that category. So I've consistently had to convince people, um, especially because I don't have a PharmD MBA, that just because I don't have an MBA, that doesn't mean I don't have the business acumen or I don't have the ability to sit at the table and have a conversation with account managers or people in contract strategy and talk numbers. Um, It's actually that because I understand the clinical side of the business and have the business acumen, I can probably find niches within the value proposition that other people may take longer to find. But that story isn't always clear, especially depending on who you are talking to and what career trajectory that they've had. So I think that continues to be a struggle. And I think it's a personal passion of mine to try to find more uh, pharmacists within the commercial role or just individuals generally who have made that switch from medical to commercial as proof points to say, look, if these people could do it, you could do it. And I will also try to show that I can do it for, for the future generation, if you will. That's, that's so important. It's, it's the modeling, right? You, you have a model in place as an individual or as um, a pathway that you've, that you've seen others go. And I actually have a question, follow up on that about skill set. And what type of skill set do you think has enabled you to, to make that transition, to, to kind of move around throughout your career, but to eventually get to that commercial role that you were looking for, whether that's tangible or behavioral? But what's what's that skill set that you've carried all the way through each of your roles? So I think it's a couple of things. I think one, having a strategic mindset um, and then ability to speak multiple languages, right? So you, you should be able to talk shop when you're talking to a medical person or an HUR person or a commercial person, right? And an ability to demonstrate that which in turn also then translates to your ability to be able to connect dots faster or more effectively within the organization. Um, And I think these are transient skill sets that you can carry with you, whichever role you go into. But I think being able to do that and then on top of that, having strong communication skills and having your work speak for itself um, or at least doing good work, then you could potentially speak for as well. Although I've learned in industry that your work doesn't just speak for itself. And that in itself is a skill you have to learn, which um, no one tells you about, but is important. So I think, (laughs) I think in summary, being able to connect dots, having strategic mindset and being able to communicate clearly, effectively, as well as in a way that potentially other people in the room may be able to, but you're able to do it faster, quicker, or better, at least in a specific time point is valuable. I think that's a great set of advice and words of wisdom for folks to take away from, from this conversation about the things that, you know, you've had to piece together to, to see the big picture. Um, you know, 
and and how all these skills are interconnected and and help contribute to your to your success that you've had so far in the industry. So, thank you so much for taking some time to to share some insights and, and wisdom with us this evening. And we wish you all the best of luck in uh, in uh, your current role and in your future endeavors as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was great.